joining me now for Gardening with Barb and Karen is Barb. Hey, Barb Lamson, how are you? Hey, Karen, I've been out in the greenhouse this morning. Okay. It's 46 degrees out there, just being warmed by the sun. We're so grateful for that. It's warm again. But we had a little surprise last weekend when we had some more snow and cold. <laughs> and very cold. I mean, it was in the teens, <laughs> which is very low for this time of year. I think we may have even set a record. And I know a lot of people were really concerned about things freezing out. And there are some things you probably should worry about. In my case, I was kind of worried about my tree uh, peony because that's a special plant and the leaves were out quite uh, quite a bit and so we did put a little sheet around it just to protect it a little bit and the other thing I protected was my martyrgon lilies because they were probably up about six inches they might have been okay but things like the hostas I didn't worry about there's little pips up and if they freeze they'll come back okay oh sure <clears throat> and I took a look at my garden too I really uh, didn't have a problem with anything except for the snow crushing the daffodils that were in the yes. room and they won't come back but that's okay the foliage is fine the plant will grow it will get a lot of energy and then next year i'll have even a better crop so that's just a little bit of a sacrifice the tulips um were had lots of nice green foliage and they still do they weren't they weren't bothered a bit and one of the plants that I was kind of worried about, I didn't cover it, though, was the uh, pulmonaria. That's what we call the lungwort. Mm -hmm. That thing just came through. It was under the snow. The snow melted. And those wonderful, tender little leaves were just as beautiful as they were before the, the snow. Well, so, you know, <laughs> the thing is... That we were still early enough that not a lot of things were up very much. My daffodils were not in bloom yet, so the ones that haven't bloomed yet, they're going to be fine. They'll look just like normal. And I think we should make sure people know how important it is. Things like your daffodils and your uh, tulips, when once they they're done blooming, don't cut the foliage off. You can cut the the bloom off, but right. they need that foliage there because that's what they take in the photos. The the uh, photosynthesis to create food underground for their bulb for so it'll be a great bloom for the sure. next year so that's just one thing to remember that i think is important the other thing is um i would go ahead and fertilize them now oh, sure especially those daffodils they need to be fertilized so they have this long season so they can use that food to uh to grow bigger and have more lovely bulbs next year and if you were lucky enough, like you, where your, um, your blooms weren't destroyed, uh, count the blooms. If it looks like you have just a real crop of leaves but no blooms, maybe you need to put a little stake in there and say, this fall, I'm going to divide them. They're, they're getting too crowded. Right. That's, that's a good point. And as far as fertilizer, what do you use? I know bulbs love bone meal. Bone meal is a great option for them. Do you use like a 10-10-10 or something? Yeah, you know, that's an easy thing to put on. If you want to work some bone meal into the soil, that that's fine. I mean, that would work. Or if you're going to divide them anyway, wait and improve the whole uh, area that you're going to put them into because it doesn't take long and 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 they've used up that bone meal the bone meal is is what's important to the plant for uh, healthy roots yes. and for more blooms the nitrogen which we really don't need as much is for the foliage yes. and um but what we want is we want these big blooms we want lots of them in the spring so you you could you could go ahead and do that but karen i was always um, I'm surprised when we hear new things about um, 
using common household products for disease in plants. And you sent me an article about tomatoes and using aspirins to prevent disease. And you were going to do some more research on that. And what did you find out? Well, I thought it was really interesting. It came up, you know, I have a, I subscribe to a lot of garden newsletters and this one popped up. It was how to use aspirin, also known as salicylic acid, to trigger tomato defenses. Why is this a good thing? Beef up the beefsteaks, it said. It says tomatoes use a hormone similar to salicylic acid to trigger a response called systemic acquired resistance, or SAR. And that response helps a tomato plant fight off bacteria, fungi, and other diseases. And that defense response is a naturally occurring internal plant process that can be started manually so to speak. So this is where the aspirin comes in. It says by spraying your tomato plants with aspirin. The salicylic acid in the aspirin will trigger the tomato's defenses by mimicking its natural hormone as if it were being attacked. So it says you can preemptively trigger the SAR response in tomatoes. And so I wasn't so sure because, you know, I thought, well, you know, with everything with Master Gardeners, we look at scientific proof. So I contacted our extension agent, Shane Bajega, and he said, well, it's kind of true and it's kind of not true. In this particular article, Barb, they say, this person says, I spray my plants every two weeks with one standard strength, 325 milligram aspirin mixed in a gallon of water. It's a, and it's not like the um, Tylenol or other thing. It's got to be the aspirin because of the salicylic acid. <coughs> and it says there's no exact recipe. And then they um, basically spray it uh, on the leaves. So it uh, goes on the leaves uh, several times. And so Shane sent me a couple of studies. To One was done at the University of Arizona and another at the University of Florida. So it says, well, does it work? And it's one of those kind of yes and no. Uh, The one university uh, person says, I was baffled by the recent spate of articles recommending grinding up an aspirin and mixing it in the soil or with water. And a little uh, searching located the source uh, from a USDA study which found a foliar spray followed by a soil drench of aspirin can trigger antifungal defenses Uh, in tomatoes, making it an effective preventive treatment. And it was theorized theorized that the salicylic acid in the aspirin was the key, meaning that other pain relievers like ibuprofen or acetaminophen won't work. And so uh, does it work? Well, it's kind of like Shane says, it's kind of yes and no. There's some anecdotal evidence that it does work. But in terms of the science, it's not as strong. Um, The the, uh, foliar sprayer soil drench at the correct rate show that it should be effective against some, but not all diseases. And and there was a master gardener at the (coughs) University of Rhode Island who had reported good luck with one one and a half uncoated aspirin dissolved in two gallons of water. Now that's just a garden experiment, which a lot of people, maybe you heard from your grandma, she said, well, this is a great way to do something in your garden. So that's that anecdotal, um, you know, it says don't spray very young seedlings and avoid spraying in hot weather and use a uh, spreader sticker to keep the spray from running off of slick plants. So, you know, it sounds kind of wishy-washy because they don't have that rigorous scientific study. So, I mean, I thought, well, maybe we could try it. Because uh, as Shane Bajega from the our extension agent said, he said there's a kernel of truth in salicylic acid in that it is a plant's defense hormone. But he says, I don't think we know enough about how much to add or the best way to apply it safely, like 
most plant hormones, there is a trade-off, usually if it's used too long. So he says, I think simple, good horticulture practices like pruning and smart watering can go farther than aspirin. And that's his, his opinion <laughs> on that. So I agree with that. It just seems like there are so many things that a gardener has to do that um, just uh, if you do, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Now, I can see if we had a really wet summer, so we'd have more of a chance, <coughs> excuse me, of fungal diseases, sure. then maybe you might want to, to go to something like that. But if you're not having a problem, if we have a normal year, I don't really think that that's necessary. Now, also, people in the South, where they have so much humidity, yes. and at night, it's still very, very humid. It's so humid that everything is covered with moisture in the morning. There, you have a really hard time growing tomatoes. You, they simply do get fungal diseases and die. Well, it doesn't seem to matter. If you get them in really early, like if you have them in the south now, if you have them uh, growing in pots right now, you've got good air circulation, you might get some uh, fruit on it, and you might be able to do that. But your season's going to be very, very short for that. Yes. Come July, August, it is so humid. It's just miserable. You know, when your clothing sticks to you, <laughs> you know that the humidity is high. Well, this and this one study that they were citing is the University of Florida, where, of course, it's very, very humid, and the other one is Arizona. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things when you see this great information or it sounds like too good to be true, it might work in some cases, sure. but if there's no scientific proof, you know, it's sort of tossing your hat, you know, a hat in the ring and if it sticks, well, yeah. 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 So, anyhow, just you you might try it just for fun if you want and Sure. Well, the thing about gardening becoming so popular is we're seeing more of these um, home remedies and people have tried different things. Uh, unless the research has been done, um, I think I would just say, you know, just uh, plant what you know is going to be hardy. And when you look at varieties, uh, especially tomatoes, look at varieties that are more resistant to some of these diseases and then grow those. Um, I love tomatoes, but uh, I don't want to spend all my time uh, uh, working and preventing disease on them when I've got other things in the yeah. garden I have to do, too. Get, get so. something that says disease-resistant. That That is a good point. See, Karen, I, I also have something new. Um, I planted my tomatoes in this um, uh, seed-starting uh, material okay. that is made up of um, it, it's, it's coconut husks that they grind uh -huh. up. And I think you've tried that, right? Is that what what variety is that? Um, this is the burpees. Oh yeah, burpees. Yeah, I think we didn't we have bad luck with that in the past. No, I didn't think I didn't know if it was that one or not. But um, I thought, well, this is great. This uh, it comes with a warranty. It talks about how we are. Um, this is sustainable because we don't have to use something that's got. Um, uh, uh, it, it, uh, chemicals or uh, chemicals, yeah. or it, it doesn't have the um, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, it it doesn't have know. products that um, degradate the soil. Okay. So um, I I bought this, and this was um, 
oh, about uh, six, seven days ago, I started my four tomato plants from seed. And this morning, I came into the kitchen, and under my lights, uh, my tomato plants had been up for about four days. They really germinated fast. I had one clump of four mushrooms in one area and a clump of three mushrooms in another area. Uh-oh. They're the cutest little things I've ever seen. They look like something you would put into a dish garden if you were putting in succulents. They are miniature in size. And so I went back to the packet, and and it just talks about how this is, you know, this is the way to go. These, This is absolutely, um, uh, they're sustainable, they're organic, they're certified, and... Uh, I don't know. I'll have to call Shane. Is what is this a sign of when you have uh, mushrooms? Well, it, to me, it's a sign of their spores, some sort of a spores that got mixed in with with whatever the stuff they put in there. So, I mean, it, they might be just harmless things, but you know, you don't want them competing with your plants either. No, and and you don't want to introduce something into your house. Well, and I would also wonder, does it mean it wasn't sterile then? Um, Because that would concern me a little bit. Uh, And, you know, we've had had cases where we've talked about certain uh, seed starting stuff. There was one year when master gardeners all across the state had complaints that their, their seedlings were not germinating or they just were dying right away and so you know the it, it's the one thing it says yeah it may be sustainable etc but if it kills your plants it doesn't it isn't any good for anybody so so you know that's a good point is to, to bring that up and maybe even go to the site and and uh, ask the, the company say you know what what could this be how could this be have been exposed to get these uh, spores in there well that's what I'm gonna do so I will um, they have a website there and uh, I don't care if they're harmless i just don't think that that's a good thing no i I wouldn't either it's it's like i mean it's a fungus basically yeah yeah it is there but you know mushrooms in themselves the type that are edible are very healthy for us so is this a sign because the soil is so sterile because you can't grow um uh the mushroom that you eat you can't grow that in conditions that are uh, they have to be sterile absolutely that everything Mm -hmm. you're doing with that has to be sterile so I don't know what this means. Um, now, it, should I get these little plants? They're about uh, oh, they're about two and a half inches tall now. Should I take them out of this and get them into something else quick, or should I leave them in there and see if they developed a little? more of a root system before I try moving them. Uh, I would definitely call your extension that service because that's, you know, that's their training. But because <clears throat> you wonder, you know, if the, the mushrooms are taking some of the nutrients away or. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I would definitely call <laughs> uh, this, the extension and ask that one because I have so never thing, experienced that. Um, it doesn't always mean if you get a name brand for something, um, it doesn't discuss anything like this on the bag that this could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you have to be vigilant and um, it's a good idea to keep records, writing things down. You know, what was it that you planted uh, into this soil that's causing the problem? And or I should say uh, seed mix, potting mix. What did you plant in there? When did you plant it? What did it look like? How long did it take? All of those things are really important. So make a, make a little note about that so you have that information, who you talk to, and, and then go from there. On the lighter side, 
I got a, a, a lovely note from our good friend Lona and Tim, mm-hmm. and um, th- she was asking if she could come and see uh, the water garden, that the pond that we ah, put in, mm-hmm. which is great. And, you know, I, I uh, immediately responded to her and told her, yes, you know, after we get it planted, we'll get some water plants. And then she very kindly sent me some things on, on different water plants to use, too, but... Um, so so that's great. But I was thinking, you know, I have learned so much from other people, and so it's it's such a good idea to return that. And uh, whenever anybody asks to come to my garden, I say yes. I mean, if there's anything that I have that you want to see, please let me know, and you can certainly come when things are going. That's, that's a great way to learn. And uh, I did notice... Uh, yesterday that the Virginia bluebells are up and I think that's really quite remarkable that's one of our native plants they're just so gorgeous they uh, bloom they come up they have beautiful foliage on them they bloom and then they disappear yeah, and, and so that's the, that's the kind of thing where you want to plant other things around them. They'd be nice to plant among hosta, for example, because by the time the hosta are up big enough, they're they're gone. And dicentra or bleeding hearts are kind of like that too, where they do a beautiful bloom in the spring, and then my hostas grow up around them because then the the, the actual foliage kind of dies off. And so it's a really good you get that pop of color early, and then it doesn't harm it later by getting over uh, shadowed from the other plants. And, you know, it's amazing how that plant will spread itself from one area to another area of the garden. And on the back side of one of my compost piles, I have the most gorgeous uh, grouping of Virginia bluebells. And how they got there, I don't know, except that soil is so rich there <laughs> that um, I'm, just, I, I'm just leaving them there. I just think it's just wonderful. Well, Barb, I've, I got a Virginia bluebell probably five years ago now, and it's still in one spot. I don't know if, if what's the deal. I, I keep, it kept her hoping it would spread, and it's just one plant in that one spot. It comes up every year, and it's done. So I, I must be doing something wrong, or the soil must not be the best place, or I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is either, although I will say that we have a lot of action in our garden with uh, with rabbits and raccoons oh. and squirrels and uh, the voles, and I do think bits and pieces of uh, roots get moved around with these little critters. Well, I've got the, the same example with the prim, the uh, primrose I, that I've got from the Master Gardener sale that Barb Maher had. Those are spreading mm-hmm. themselves around, and they're very, very pretty because they bloom early in the garden, and yeah. they just have nice green foliage that's really close to the ground. And, you know, primrose is something that we rarely see in gardens around here because there are very few of those that you buy that actually are hardy. And I have some in my garden, too. And I didn't cover them up when we had the snow and the cold. And, you know, they come up in the spring with green foliage on them. Yes. And they just looked wonderful. So they're, so how did she get them? I mean, if she, if they're not, um, like you said, you don't see a lot of the, you see a lot of the uh, annual ones that don't come up back again. But the ones that I got at the plant sale were obviously the, the hardy ones. So yeah. where, where initially did she get those, I wonder? She got these from a woman who had had them for like 24 oh, years. Okay. And and she gave her a start, and she said, you know, I forget where she'd gotten them from, but they were hardy, 
And so Barbara's kept dividing them and giving them out to people. So that's, that's the way that we have them. That's all I can tell you. But uh, it, it may be something that was uh, uh, not hybridized, but a very, very old variety that came from someplace. I cannot remember ever seeing primrose in gardens when I was growing up. No, I'd, I'd never really seen it before to speak of so I was kind of surprised when I thought oh this is kind of a cool thing why don't I plant it and I have now I'm going to have an interesting situation this year because I've always uh, in my shade garden there was this apricot tree well it died so we had to completely cut it down this winter we cut it last year at least there was a lot of branches that kind of shaded things so now I'm going to have a lot more sun it will be interesting to see how my shade garden is going to do if I'll have to move things around or change plants because uh, there are some hostas that don't mind sunlight or at least some and there's others that are going to get scorched they'll start to get yellow or brownish on the edges of the leaves so that's another thing you look for if you've had any changes in your light you might have to think about renovating and moving things around yeah that 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 is so true you know um karen uh, april 22nd next week is earth day yes I was inspired when I read an article in the Free Press about um, uh, Logan uh, Sandal. He's the young man who won the uh, MSU uh, uh, Entrepreneur's Contest. And what he had done was, as a a youngster, eight years old, living on Lake uh, Tatanka, he had been cleaning out weeds around the lake, around their dock, and it was so weedy, and he kept doing this, and he did a good job, and his neighbors asked him to start to come over and clean the weeds there. And he said this was such a great alternative to chemicals, and we can all appreciate that. We don't want any more chemicals going in the lake. And you know that when you have all these weeds, it's because there is too much chemical that's getting in there and causing them to grow. So he was he received an award from MSU. Um, he had developed a a way of cleaning up. He did 80 um, different places last year on the lake. Uh, He made a custom-made rake on a rope, hired people to go with him, and they cleaned out these 80 lakeshore parcels. Now he's going to uh, develop this even more. And I just thought, wow, if there's anything you can do for the environment, uh, and if it means starting out just putting a lot of effort into it and a lot of hard work into it, it is so worthwhile because Minnesota is such a beautiful place and we want to pass on clean water, clean lakes, and that everyone should have this opportunity to see fish, to go fishing, catch fish, to be out, see healthy birds, you know, a healthy landscape, and this all comes with preventing these chemicals getting into our water. And yeah, and there are plants that they actually recommend with their native plants because they have those deeper roots that can actually filter that water. So a lot of times people want these pristine grass, <clears throat> short grass by the shoreline. And yeah, it looks nice, but all that anything chemicals I was going right in. So yeah, it's, it's so important to to have some barrier. And I'm working on creating a barrier because when we moved there, it was strictly lawn right to the edge to the riprap on the shore and uh, I don't know how my neighbors will like that, but I'm going to try and get some things that will will basically filter the if there is any chemicals or anything coming through. You know, through. hopefully it will be a, um, uh, people will notice this and will want to do the very same thing. 
uh, a lakeshore home, home is a big investment. We used to have lakeshore property, and it is a big investment. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's up to you to take care of the water. And that means just exactly where you build, what you build, what you plant, uh, choosing not to use chemicals, all of those things. It's so very, very important. So anyway, hats off to Logan. Uh, for being so interested as a kid to get out and do this. I can see an eight-year-old with a rake uh, <laughs> cleaning out weeds so that he could swim off and, and, and uh, fish off of his uh, dock. But you know, lake. when you're weeding, it's kind of like your garden, though. You have, to, it, you have to be at it. You can't just do it once and think you're done. I, I mean, he must have been out there day after day because it, yep. they, those weeds just keep popping up. So <laughs> that's, that's a very intensive labor. But uh, yeah, kudos to him for doing that. Yeah, and you know what he does with these weeds that he takes off when he does other people's? Compost them? He hauls them to a farmer who composts them. Oh, nice. He uses them on his fields. That's a wonderful thing. Just think of that. That's so great. That would be very probably probably good for your soil, I would think. so. Oh, yes. And talking about good soil and composting, so, you know, my wonderful husband, Dave, was out, and he turned our compost piles, both of them. I had started doing it, and then it had gotten cold, but he was out there, and Karen, I have the most beautiful compost now. Oh, good. I went out, and I ran my hand through it, and I just thought, oh, it's got to warm up so I can start adding this to the soil. But both beds are ready to go. Now I'm thinking, maybe I need to start a third compost pile. <laughs> I've, I've got stuff in bags <clears throat> that I can use right away. David just groaned when he heard me say a third <laughs> compost pile. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. Dave, you, you're a great guy. See, you keep doing these things, and you'll be so good, and, and there's more demanded of you. That's what happens. Well, exactly. And once you get this soil, I mean, I was telling my daughter, I said, you know, I'll share anything I've got, but never my composted soil, my new soil. That is so rich. It's just got all these micro microbes in it, and you work that in with your plants, and they just take right off. Okay, Barb, we are out of time, but it's so great to chat with you as always. Appreciate it. And uh, I think we'll be able to get out this weekend and do some stuff because it's it's a little warmer again. Well, thank you, Karen. And just remind our listeners, everybody should try and do something for Earth Day. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Yep, bye-bye. That's our good friend Barb Lampson, talking gardening. We'll put that on our SoundCloud. So if you want to listen to that show or previous gardening shows where we talk about all sorts of gardening things you can go to the SoundCloud under KMSU and a lot of our our previous interviews and 